Amen, amen. Praise God. Well, we're going to talk today about how your faith gives you the edge. Your faith gives you the edge. We live in a competitive world. And you need to know that you have an edge. And that edge is your faith. It's not your salvation. Whatever that means to people. That's a one-time confession of devotion to Christ. But you live it out every day by faith. Every day that we live, we are living by faith. And so that exercise of your faith in God is what gives you the edge in every situation. We know that the economy seems to be shrinking. Jobs are shrinking. People's money is shrinking. Right now the government's trying to figure out how to loan money to people who have mismanaged it and they feel like they have no choice. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, you know, we got to look at this situation that we have with the world economy, folks, and understand that you don't want to get sucked in and be a victim of that. And how do you circumvent the world system? You do it with your faith. That's what gives you the edge. In every situation, your faith <clears throat> gives you the edge. So uh, faith will tip all situations to your advantage. Any situation that you are in gets tipped to your advantage by your faith. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us something that I think is very encouraging talks about what can be accomplished with faith in God faith in God Hebrews 11 verse 7 I'm reading from the King James I'm going to read you a couple more versions that to give you a good understanding of the meaning it says here in my Bible, by faith Noah, being warned of God, he was warned by God of things not seen as yet. He was, he was, he was warned about something that hadn't occurred yet. So we're dealing here with the invisible realm. Now it's totally visible to God because he's invisible. And he lives in the realm of the spirit. He was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. What motivates you? When you pray for household salvation, what's motivating you? What's moving you? Do you really believe people are going to hell? Or do you believe like they claim 60% of Christians don't believe there's a literal hell? They feel like hell is a representation of some fictitious place or something. Nonsense like that. But if you really believe there's a literal hell and people who don't believe Christ will go there, you'll be moved with fear. You'll be moved with fear. And you will pray sincere prayers that will get these people in today. <laughs> While they're <laughs> where the soles of their feet are warm. huh? <laughs> From feeling the sting of the fire. They can be moved. So he was moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the which, now by doing this, by doing this by faith, that all of these elements must be in place, folks. 
You can't hear something and halfway believe it and then get up and do anything and expect God to honor it. There were specific instructions God gave him that his faith moved him to do. And so he prepared an ark to the saving of his soul, I mean saving of his house. By doing this, he condemned the world, or by the which he condemned the world, and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. So by believing God and acting on what he told him to do, he inherited righteousness. One act of believing God and obeying him made righteousness his inheritance. In other words, it became his permanent possession. It's what happens to everybody when they're born again. This building this ark for the saving of his house is a picture of the believer who is born again. When you accept Christ, you begin to understand that God will save everybody in your household. Not that just your household, but you start preaching to the dog, the cat, his fleas, their fleas, the goldfish, the neighbors. You drive people crazy talking about what Jesus has done for you. So that inheritance of righteousness becomes real in your heart because you made a one-time exercise of your faith in God and you understand his salvation. So one time exercise of your faith makes faith your inheritance. That's why it makes no sense to believe God one day and go back to your old methods the next. Hmm? As many of us do. We'll believe God for what we consider to be salvation, which we think is something off in the future somewhere. Because that's what we've been told. But salvation is something you walk in every day. Your inheritance of righteousness is something that you walk in every day. By faith. Not religion, but faith. And so Noah did this one-time thing. He began to prepare an ark to save his household. And by doing this... He got an edge over everybody else, wouldn't you say? Huh? That was a pretty righteous edge he got. And so his righteousness that came with his faith was what began to condemn the rest of the world. Every time he drove a nail into a piece of wood, people around him got convicted. Can you imagine? Everybody felt guilty. Everybody felt, oh, what's going to happen? Everybody felt the godly fear. The Bible says he condemned his, the world with that. Everybody in the whole world. So my thinking is this. If, if you're the only person who believes God, do you realize that there could only be one person saved at the end of the world, and that could be you if you continue to believe God and exercise your faith in him? interesting thought but God only needs one person to turn things around and and check this out if you're the one person who's trusting God when you go for a job when you go for anything in a competitive world you have the edge everybody else has passed judgment on as condemned you one righteous person believing God for what you're getting there 
will be the one that tips everything in your favor. Your faith does that. Your faith in God and his word. Not your faith in you and your abilities and how great you are and how many degrees you have and how wonderful you are and you, you did this right and you did that right. But your faith in God. huh? Me, a poor whatever I am with my meager skills. God, if you said you're going to give me this job, I believe you're going to give it to me and I'm going to pursue it. huh? And by that, you condemn everybody else sitting there in that job situation that's not believing God. Because you believe him. Your faith passes judgment on their unbelief. <clears throat> so I'm going to read you a couple of other other translations. In God's word translation, it says, Faith led Noah to listen when God warned him. Huh? Listening. Hello? Give it your full attention. His faith caused him to do that. His faith, by faith, he listened to God when he warned him about the things in the future that he couldn't see. He obeyed God and built a ship to save his family. Through faith, Noah condemned the world and received God's approval that comes through faith. You receive God's approval when you use your faith toward him. Amplified, it says, prompted by faith, Noah, being forewarned by God, Concerning events of which as yet there was no visible sign, took heed and diligently and reverently constructed and prepared an ark for the deliverance of his own family. Your faith prepares a rescue for your family. By this, his faith which relied on God, he passed judgment and sentence. And that sentence was carried out when the flood came, was it not? He didn't go around and tell them people, oh, you can wish you was me, honey, in 40 days. Two weeks is coming. You can wish you was me. He didn't do anything but built the boat. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. Every time he checked out at Home Depot, he passed sentence on them people. Tap, tap, tap. Tap, tap, tap. His obedience to God's word, not his much talking to them about how bad it was going to be for them if they don't accept the Lord's salvation. Hmm? He passed judgment and sentence on the world's unbelief and became an heir and possessor of righteousness. It is that relation of being right into which God puts the person who has faith. So your faith gets over into your righteousness account. Faith. and See, there are a lot of people who believe God, but not unto righteousness. Hmm? You turn on any MTV situation. I want to thank God. And they truly believe God has gifted them. Some of them go far, as far as to pray before their concerts where they're cussing and carrying on. But they're not righteous, would you say? thought so. Because their faith does not lead to righteousness because they haven't applied the blood of Jesus in all situations to their situation. We have the edge. Because when we, we live for God every day, And when you believe God's word, living for him and applying the faith in the word and obeying his every word, 
then that gives you the righteousness edge over people who are merely just giving God credit in a vague sense for what they have. So your faith is accounted to you as righteousness. And then whatever God instructs you to do, you do it and it's considered a righteous deed. It's added into your account of deeds of righteousness. And that's where you get your reward. The rap singer merely gives God some credit, but his deeds are not righteous, would you say? You know, you see some of these guys and they got a living girlfriend and talking about with a big cross around their neck, talking about what God's doing for them. Get real. It's not righteousness. And they'll confuse a lot of people. They'll even get some Christians confused. Because Christians that want like that kind of life will get around them and begin to compromise. Instead of passing judgment like Noah did. There's a difference there. Noah's faith in God passed judgment on and condemned the whole world. Why? Because he felt that even if he was the only person believing God, the righteousness that he felt inside of him, he knew he could only keep going by believing God all the more. So the the life that you live commits you to live more for God, not less for God. Once you drive the first nail into the boat and you see the response of the world, and, well, you, you, you go to church too much. Huh? You listen to that and you'll find yourself going less and less. Instead of doing what Noah did. Yep. And, and, and I'm going early <laughs> this time. Huh? I'm going to go and set some chairs up or do some whatever. Huh? You have to do it harder, longer, stronger when the enemy comes to you to make you quit. You got to live out loud, folks. This silent witness stuff is for the birds. Noah lived it loud. He couldn't build that boat inside his house. He had to go outside and do it. Every time he drove a nail, people coming by making fun of him. Well, we have, we don't have any water around here. It's, you know, it's never rained like that before. Well, you know, what are you doing? Who told you that was going to happen? How do you know that's going to happen? Huh? And he just kept nailing, hammering away. And he began to pass judgment one by one on everybody in the whole world. His faith gave him the edge. Huh? And it was more than edge. It was life. So your faith is what gives you life over the other people. So where does God, where does the faith that we're talking about come from? Romans 12.3 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it says Noah was told by God that this was going to happen and he listened. He listened. Instead of trying to, to argue with God or say it wasn't going to happen like everybody else in the world did, Noah listened. And I think it was because he was in the habit of listening to God. This is something that becomes a habit and becomes a lifestyle. Even if this was the first time he'd listened to God, it was accounted to him as righteousness. It gave him the edge. 
So sometimes your first time listening to God, when you become enlightened and you understand what God uh, requires of you, then your faith gives you the edge. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Without God's word involved, your faith lacks substance. The Bible also says that it, to every man is dealt the measure of faith. In fact, that's Romans 12.3 says every man is dealt the measure of faith. So you have faith inside of you. Everybody, sinner or saint, has the measure of faith that God gave them. The difference being that when faith is mixed with God's word, it has substance. Faith that's not mixed with God's word lacks substance. So you can say you're believing God, but if you're not mixing it with the word of God, it lacks substance. And substance is what you need to make what it is that you desire, the thing that you hope for. So the Bible says that faith is a substance of things hoped for, and it is the evidence of things not seen. It, it, is, it gives you evidence that something is really there. So your faith really is your witness, it's your confirmation, it's your everything. When you get that assurance that only comes from God's word, that's what you need to go forward and do what you need to do. And that's all Noah had. He didn't have 15 confirmations. He didn't lay a bunch of fleeces out there. He just believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. And I'll tell you, the fewer things that you need to go along with your faith, if you can just take God at his word, the better off it is for you. Because you don't need a whole lot. You won't get confused by what you see in the natural realm. That's all you need is what God has told you. So without God's word, your faith really lacks substance. It lacks what we call reality, material reality in the spirit realm. And you have absolutely no assurance that what you're asking for will ever happen without mixing your faith with God's word. So really, if you don't mix it with the word of God, what you think you're believing is really just on a wish level. Or a hope level. Because there's no substance under it. So wishing is not substance. Hoping is not substance. Dreaming is not substance. So only when it's mixed with God's word do you get the substance of faith. So Romans 10.17 talks about the faith that gives substance. Faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So that's the kind, the God kind of faith that has substance in it that can bring what's in the spirit realm or in the invisible realm over into the visible realm. So it's what, what's happening is that is as we live here in the natural normal earth realm, God makes a deposit of his supernatural faith on the inside of us. And as we continue in faith and obey and position ourselves in faith, what we are carrying on the inside of us is a replica of what God has for us in the realm of glory. And it gives God permission to transfer it from where he is over to where we are. It has to be on the inside of you. 
It has to be on the inside of you. It can't happen just because you beg God, you cry, you need it, you're tired of waiting. I'm sure all of that is true up to a point, but it's got to be developed on the inside of you so God can get the permission to transfer it over. Wanting is not the, is not the same thing as the substance of faith. Just because you want something that doesn't give it substance. Only faith is substance. So whenever you have a need, you have a resident substance on the inside of you. And if you will extend it toward God's word and believing God's word, then it eventually will come to pass for you. So you need a resident, you need to activate the resident substance inside of you that gives you the edge and gives you the faith that you need. And it will make what you need. It will manufacture a form what you need. Now this makes faith a really unique substance. In all of the universe, (coughs) faith is a very unique substance. Because it's the only material that you can use that will manufacture anything. It'll manufacture anything. For instance, if you want to make a car, you need steel, you need rubber, you need plastic, you need some, so you need to have substance, like substance, to make like things. If you want to make a cake, you got to have flour, you got to have milk, eggs, you got to have butter, you got to have all those things. Now, if you just have flour and water, you can make something, but it won't be very delectable. It's called paste. I used to eat it when I was in kindergarten. I don't know about y'all, but <laughs> I was one of them paste eaters. You know, little kids will taste anything. Curiosity. But if you want it to be substantial you have to take a like substance to make it out of faith is the only substance that god can use to make anything that you need so in other words if you need money you don't need money to make money all you need to do is exercise faith in god's word that he'll provide for your needs and get going hello so that faith that's in you when it's mixed with god's word Faith is the substance. The word is what gives it shape and definition. So the word is what you wrap your faith around to give it the substance of what you're hoping for. Hope is in the word. If you see in the word that by his stripes you are healed, your hope is that you will be healed. Your faith is what gives substance to that scripture. And God, as you listen to it and hold on to it, is manufacturing Cells that you need to drive out cells that are killing you. New organs that you need. You don't have to get on a transplant list. Get on God's transplant list, which is not a list. I mean, he got stuff stacked up there waiting for people. Uh, What you need is already in the realm of glory. God just has to be have it made real to you so that he can have the permission to transfer it over into the seen realm. You got it? When it's real enough to you is when the transfer happens. So really, he's forming it on the inside of your spirit. Has to be that way. That's the way God made it. And we're made in God's image 
And that's the way it happens in God. So that substance inside of you will form whatever you need. So there are some natural substances and spiritual substances. Natural substances are only are limited to only the natural world. Spiritual substance is legal in both realms. So you need spiritual substance to make what it is that you desire to come from God. So what you mix with your faith determines what you make it. Your faith needs help. You have to add to it. James says that faith without works is dead. So you add works to it just as Noah did. So God may tell you. You might see a job posted. And you've been asking God for a job that pays good money. And you might look at all the qualifications and you might decide that you don't qualify. Well, if you've mixed the substance of your faith with faith in God's word and you've been asking him for a promotion, does it not stand to reason if he's got your eyeballs fixed on that little notice on the wall that maybe he's speaking to you to apply for it? Maybe you have 40% of the qualifications and you feel you're missing 60. Maybe you have 60 and feel you're missing 40. What does the substance inside you tell you to do? Do you have an assurance on the inside of you? Do you have something telling you on the end, prompting you on the inside of you to go ahead, put your name in, put your resume in? Does it, so you have to have some work that draws you closer to the thing that you desire in order for God's faith to be active on the inside of you. So you just can't go around believing God and say you're believing God and never move toward that thing. You have to do something to move toward it in order to possess it and make it yours. So God will begin on the inside of you to paint a picture of what it is that he wants you to have, what it is that you desire. And at some point, something in the natural is going to closely resemble that picture. And that's when you begin to reach out for it. So if you need works of of faith or works of righteousness, these works will be works that will draw you closer to the thing that God has promised. Always drawing you closer to it. So the works that you have to do to accomplish what it is that you're believing God for are clearly indicated on the inside of you. Just like Noah, God gave him instruction. He said, it's going to rain and everybody who doesn't get into this boat is going to die. Now, you don't know if he might have told that to other people. In fact, I'm pretty sure he did because it was a pretty well-known thing what was going to happen. And all the people that hadn't heard God say it could ask Noah what he was doing and he could tell them exactly what happened. The Bible says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So with his words and with his actions, he told the story that God told him of what was going to happen. People could have asked him, Noah, you know what, I want to go too. I believe God as well. Can I help you build the boat so I can go? But in the end, as it turned out, only one man believed God. 
and he was able to get the edge over everybody in the whole world. Nobody believed God except him. Your faith can cause extraordinary things to happen to you. You've got to understand what your faith can do when it's mixed with God's word. And not take it as a casual thing. Not take it as a, a cheap thing or something. Well, you know, I mean, that's fine for some people. Or, you know, shrugging all the time. Shrugging it off as something you want to embrace. But you've got to understand that the same faith that he used, by the which he condemned the whole world, he passed judgment on the whole world. does the same thing when it's mixed with faith in God in your life. This is why people, you know, don't like you at your job. Huh? When you talk about the things of God. In fact, you don't even have to talk about God. You can just walk in and begin to converse about nothing. Or sometimes just walking in causes a conviction to come on people. They feel like you don't like them or you think they're, you're better than they are. And you haven't said a thing. So the faith, just the resident faith that you walk in, when you walk, say for instance, you decide um, that you're you're going to dress more modestly or conservatively. You know, the people have these hurdles to cross when they when you become Christians. Now, when you first start out as a believer, I remember back in the 80s when I got saved, or the 60s and 70s when people first started the charismatic churches. Everybody got saved in jeans and a t-shirt, and they kept coming to jeans and a t-shirt until they wanted to work at the altar in front of people, and they made you put on a suit. You understand what I'm saying? And that, that understanding of God's requirement for your image or your witness before the world starts to come before people, and they make these decisions. Well, suppose you decide at your workplace, you know, all the girls are wearing whatever, whatever, fat farm, baby fat, too fat, ain't fat enough, whatever it is they wear. And they start wearing logo things or, you know, or the jeans everybody's wearing, you know. Number one, they too tight. And number two, they cut too low. So now we got all this revelation everywhere in everybody's workplace. And you decide that you're going to be modest in yours. Well, the minute you walk in, all you did was made a decision to believe God that when he says women dress modestly, hello, it's in the Bible, and you decide you're going to comply with that, and you walk in your job, dress the way you feel God wants you to dress. And everybody in there starts feeling uncomfortable. Just the fact that you believed God to obey him in your personal witness or in the the way you want to please God with the way you look has passed judgment on everybody else sitting there and you didn't do a thing. You didn't say anything to anybody. You didn't tell them the way they're dressing is wrong. You can't impose your standards on them because they don't know God, number one. You want them to know God more than you want them to dress right. You understand what I'm saying? And so your your behavior, your modest behavior, passes judgment on their unbelief. When you get in conversations with people, Christians, and they want to talk about everybody in the church, you just sat there and grinned with everybody, and now they want to sit and pick them, pick them apart 
your silence. Hmm? Or you get up and walk away. Or you change the subject. And they feel they've done something wrong. They feel conviction. Why? Your faith that love covers a multitude of faults. Your faith that when you walk in love, you believe the best about people. You don't even have to say you're believing the best. And sometimes you don't even know why you go silent. But you know you feel kind of like a hypocrite. Yeah, I just sat there and had dinner with that person and we were chumming and being friends and now you just want to talk about how bad they are. Huh? That don't seem right to me. Huh? And so you begin with your faith in God's word on your personal life level. I'm not talking about trying to condemn the world by building a boat or anything. I'm just talking about your everyday existence. How your faith in God and your desire to please God with your faith you're pleasing him by believing him and doing what he would have you to do. That level of faith is what condemns everybody around you. When people find out that you, you tithe or you give money to God or you want to do something for the Lord, mm-hmm. passes judgment on them. Mm-hmm. Unless they agree that they want to do the same thing and when they get money they start giving. But most people just shrug it off and say, oh, that's good for you. You know, I can't do it or I wouldn't do it. Some people tell you to your face they wouldn't do what you do. huh? Because they don't have the love for God. They're coming from a different place. So the faith that you use, folks, and that faith is what gives you the edge in every situation. Every situation. So me, myself, I'd rather believe God and suffer rejection of the rest of the world, my so-called friends, I would rather suffer rejection from them and believe God because the faith that I'm holding on to might be exactly what I need to give me the edge in this other situation over here I'm believing God for. See, it all plays a part. You can't just believe God in one area and think you're going to impress him and get the edge and you compromise in other ones. you got to believe God all the way down the line. All the way down the line. And I'll give you another hint. Don't take the time to argue with people about your faith. Because arguing already means that you believe your faith isn't weak enough to just stand on its own. You don't have to explain to people why you do what you do. You just have to keep doing it so that you can please God. So faith is the substance that you need to give you that edge because it's seen in the realm of the spirit and it's eventually seen in the realm of the material. When Satan sees you using your faith, there's nothing he can do about you. Did you know that? There's nothing he can do to stop faith. Once you're employing it, that's the one thing that he has to move out of the way of when he sees it. When he sees you operating in faith, that moves him out of the way. So James 2.7 says that faith without works is dead because it's by itself. So once you understand from God's word and you believe God's word, then you got to apply it to something. Start building your boat. Start hammering in the nails. 
Start gathering the things that you're going to need for what it is. If it's a job promotion, go out and buy an outfit or a pair of shoes or something that looks the part so that you can exercise and, and get something invested over in your next level of living. Faith helps you to live up to God's potential that he has for you. And this is why people around you may feel condemned because they don't have the potential that you have in God or if they have it, they don't know about it. See, you're building a boat because you believe that rainy days are ahead. They're looking to have a party and they don't want God to come. Huh? The last thing they want. Or they'll say, oh, well, you take everything so serious. Hmm? Don't you ever have any fun? Yeah, but when hard times are coming, you ain't going to have no fun either. Huh? And you're going to be wanting to get in my boat. Hmm? The Bible says that when all of Noah's, when he had gathered all of the animals God told, he gathered every living thing in there that God told him to gather. It said God shut the door to that boat. Huh? He shuts doors no man can open. So that was a door of faith that let people know after this it's over. Anybody with faith can get in here and anybody Noah claims can get in here. Huh? But you don't want no unbelief on a boat that's going to save everybody in the world. You want faith people in there. Huh? So Noah wouldn't have wanted those people in there anyway. Arguing, what? Uh, it's been forty days. No, I mean, I mean, I want to get out there because I got. I want to get back to my house. No, no, you don't want people like in there. You want people who will shut up and wait for God to say it's time to open the door. You understand what I'm saying? So in your ark and in, in what you're building for your life, you only want faith people associated with it. Bad company corrupts good manners. You know people by the type of company they keep. You want faith people around you when you're trying to do something for God. Hmm? Pat Robertson, as much as he accomplished uh, um, <clears throat> with building CBN and built a university and the ministry that they have serving the poor and serving disaster areas, doing surgery, uh, surgical teams and people that can't afford surgery worldwide, one of the things that he said, and, and this was something that I took note of, you know, when I would watch people, oftentimes God would point things out to me. He said, now notice what this person says when they give answers in certain places. And they were just talking about some things, and he was talking about faith and, and how important it is to uh, keep your faith level high if you want to accomplish things in God. And he says, you know, a lot of times he said people get around you and they start talking discouraging things. He said, I don't let those people around me. And the way he said it was you knew he was serious about it. Uh, Pat Robertson's a strong person on the inside, but his demeanor is usually pretty meek. You know, he's pretty bold on the inside, but he's a likable person. And the way he said it was like you knew <laughs> you've been not coming around that man talking a bunch of nonsense. You know, it's not going to happen, or we don't have enough this, or, you know, bad news person, and against what he's believing God for. And so I took that to heart, and I began to understand that in certain situations, you can't ask people for their opinions about things. You can't ask people what they're thinking about things. 
You need to learn how to wait on God. If you need another nail in your boat, you need to wait for God to bring it. You don't need to go ask a survey of a hundred different people what they think about what God told you to do. You just need to go do it and keep unbelief from around you. And if you find yourself wavering and wanting somebody to come and encourage you, learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord. Maybe that's your next step, the next thing you need to accomplish. You need to learn how to encourage yourself. The only thing that you need to do is find more of the word to support what you're believing oftentimes and you'll get it so you have to understand that god is building you up according to the vision he sees in you what he knows you can accomplish and he wants you to accomplish great things your faith is capable of such great things that mostly we haven't even tapped into half the potential that we have in god Sometimes we think we can't handle what it takes. But if Noah could do it, you could do it. Hmm? Bible says Elijah was a man with like passions like we all are. Hmm? It means when it was time to get upset, he got upset. When it was time to be nervous, he got nervous. Huh? But he accomplished great things in God. The Bible says he earnestly prayed that it wouldn't rain. And it didn't rain. His faith held that for three years. And he saw drought around him. He oftentimes didn't have anything. People around him didn't have anything. But he held on to his faith. And he waited until God said it was time to release the world from the drought. Even though he was suffering with everybody else. Of course, he depended on God and God sustained him. But man, if you know you had power over the rain and it was all dry out there, don't you know I'd be having me a little silent prayer? Some God, let me have a little, can I have a bubble bath, please? Huh? But he held on, he earnestly prayed, and he suffered with the rest of the people. He was, he was uncomfortable with it. God pr- probably provided just enough. It wasn't lavish, but he provided just enough. And so we have to understand that as human beings, we are highly capable of everything God has told us to do. If we will apply our faith, wrap it around his word. Mix the faith that you have with the word of God at all times. And don't think it's an extraordinary thing to believe God. It should be an everyday thing to believe Him. should be commonplace every day, all the time, believing God. You should seek God's Word because you want things to work out for you. You don't want to get yourself in a panic, you know, as many times we do, and then you'll grab the first thing that looks like it's a lifeline. And oftentimes it's more trouble. Because we don't extend our faith toward God. Whatever happens in your life, you have time to consult God. You don't have, you're not so out of time that you can't ask God. And the Bible says His Word is near you. It's not far away. It's in your mouth and in your heart, folks. So you need to draw from that Word that's already in you. If you don't know anything but help me, Jesus. Huh? And you keep confessing you'll help me, Jesus, until help comes. Hmm? And he will surely help you. The Bible says he is a very present help. It's a present help in times of trouble. So God is not looking at 
your past, he's looking at your potential. And your potential is always accomplished by mixing your faith with the Word of God. So even if you see, say, we were talking about a a while, a few uh, minutes ago, about a job that you don't really feel you quite qualify for, God sees your potential as being able to do that job. Huh? He's not looking at what them people wrote down on the paper. Them crackheads and drug addicts, they got running some of these companies now, they don't even know what they put down on the paper sometimes. Oh, did I put that down there? Well, that's a typo. Yeah, you got a lot of them. So sometimes God is wanting to give his people this kind of an edge so that they can get in and move certain elements out so that righteousness can come back to the workplace, so that godly standards can come back in these companies. Now, these people go get bold. They borrow money from the government and go have a party with it. I mean, come on, folks. You don't think God would rather have one of his kids in those positions because he knows that when they get there, he can trust them with the money? I think he does. And I think we'll only get there if we'll use our faith to get there. Hmm? So if we, when we are stepping out in God, we need to add works to our faith. You've got to get out of the boat. Hmm? You've got to step out. And let God know you mean it for real. So if you will begin to let your faith move you into action, you will see a reaction from God. And don't be upset if the devil moves at the same time. huh? <laughs> He's just doing what he does best. And that's panicking because here a child of God is using their faith. huh? That puts him into panic mode. You know why? Because whatever God gives you, he gives it to you forever. The devil's the only one with the temporary condition out there, folks. Yours is a permanent condition. When God gives you something, he means for you to keep it forever. It's yours forever. Huh? I've got a pair of shoes I bought. I really like the shoes because they're comfortable. And those shoes have to be like 15 years old. Uh, when I look at young people, I tell them, I got shoes older than you. I mean it. Uh, <laughs> shoes got to be 15 years old. And uh, there it has, there's a flat shoe, and it's got a little heel that keeps coming off. Every time it comes off, I find it and put it back on there. Uh, because I stand on the word, whatever God gave me, it's forever. Uh, it's forever. Until I'm sick of them shoes, they're going to be there. And I wear them. I, it's not that I don't wear them. There's some little trophy I'm holding on to. I wear them. But I know that as long as, as I'm believing something belongs to me, it's going to belong to me. That's God's word. That's not me just trying to brag on what you know. People get this thing when you, when you have confidence in God, they think you're bragging on you. And see, that's the other thing that passes judgment on weaklings who are too scared to believe God. Is that when you confidently say what God has told you, or you confidently speak God's word, or how you've applied it, what you've embraced with it. You know, people, mm, mm, really? Mm, mm. Doubters and scorners. Mm. The Bible says if you cast out the scorner, you get rid of all your trouble. Mm. 
And that means if you have a scornful spirit in you, sometimes you cast that out and you get rid of all your trouble. You'll find that you're able to believe God's word. You're able to step out appropriately in faith, using the word of God. Well, how do I know if God's moving you? You won't till you step out. Everybody's always scared about getting out of the boat. Isn't that what you've been praying for? Haven't you been asking God for something better? Now when better comes along, you're scared to get out the boat. Huh? You're going to have to step out at some point because God is looking at your potential. He is not looking at your present condition. He's looking at where you said you wanted to go the last time you said, I'm sick of this job. And I know I can do better. So step out there. Step out there. Don't wait until your negative speaking has eaten up the boat you're sitting in. You know, that's what we do. We sit up there and criticize what we have and don't realize we're destroying it. And then when it's gone, we want a a life raft then. Mm -hmm. So now you get your little life raft. uh, Glad for it. uh, Little unemployment check. (laughs) I got my unemployment. Well, last month you was telling God you wanted a promotion because I know I can do better than this. I know I can do more than this. I got skills. I got... Where do you think your faith really was all along? I'm going to ask it again. Where do you think your faith really was all along? So you need to get your little self in God's word more and get out the flesh. Because many times what we desire that we consider God's promotion is our flesh and our pride. Being too proud and too arrogant to take what our, fre- our, flesh, our faith has brought in and build upon that. When Noah bought the first piece of lumber, he used what faith he had. And he began to build. And when he needed more, he went out and got more. That's how you build your life in God. You build it one plank at a time. You don't leap into things, into greater things. Your mind won't be able to handle it. Your brain will go into shock. Some of the places that you find yourself in because of God's favor and God's mercy. huh? David, when he first killed Goliath, he was invited to live in the palace. He didn't just jump up and all of a sudden become king one day. Huh? He had to get used to it. Huh? He had to learn how to wipe his shoes and sandals off when he came in, let somebody wash his feet before he went and walked on the marble on the palace floor. You understand what I'm saying? There is a building of your faith to the final position that God has you in. You just don't jump into it. And you shouldn't want to jump. That's that's your flesh. That's carnality. Carnality always wants to grab, always wants to grab at something to consume it on their lust so they can say they got it. Hmm? 
when you, the Bible says, Noah was moved with a reverential fear, a respect for God. As he drove each nail in, he worshipped God. As he began every day, he praised God. God, direct me today. You told me that it was going to rain, and people are trying to discourage me. Help me to stay steady in what you've given me so that I can continue to believe you and go ahead and save my family, because if what you said is coming is really coming, I'm going to need your help through this more and more. See, oftentimes we get the promotion and leave God in the last job. Go in the promotion in the flesh, and we want to start bossing people around and pushing people around and telling them off. We finally got in a position we can tell everybody off. Now we're going to really tell them off. Huh? Can't do that in God. You've got to stay in a place where God, because certainly if you needed God to get to that level, honey, you're going to need him more to maintain and stay in that level and then to move on. So you don't ever let your flesh begin to take over in a situation. To where you think you're there because you're the best worker. Or they like me. People like me, they don't like the boss. Be careful when you're the one they like. Rather than somebody who's been there and hired you. You better try to get them to like your boss. That's what my husband used to say. He said, yeah, it's making the boss look good. I would call him sometimes at work. I said, what you doing? I'm just making my boss look good. And he didn't resent it, and he didn't, it was the way things were done. And he accepted the way things were done. Huh? Because he knew that if the boss ever looked bad, hmm? don't cut off your lifeline, folks. Don't be so antagonistic toward everything. Hmm? People are, Christians are supposed to be gentle, meek people. You understand what I'm saying? Meekness <laughs> gets you a long way. Especially when you're you're employed, hmm? employers. Yeah. The Bible says also faith works by love. Doesn't work by arrogance. Hmm? Doesn't work by bragging, boastfulness. Faith don't work in your flesh. Faith works and is supported by the fruit of the spirit. So faith works by love. Second Peter says to add things to your faith, add strength to your faith. Sometimes when people don't waver and they get strong in things, it's because their faith is being augmented by strength. You walk in the spirit for your faith to work. And that gives you the edge. Walking in the spirit always gives you the edge. Being attuned minute by minute to the instruction of God so that you can have success in what you're doing gives you the edge. And this will work for young people, old people, middle-aged people. I don't care what kind of people. It works on all human beings. (laughs) So the walk in the Spirit is really what gives you the edge because if God has instruction for you, if you're off in the flesh somewhere, He can't find you and tell you what to do next. Hmm? Sometimes you might have been praying for an open door, and it opens and closes immediately. Huh? What do you do? Huh? Well, maybe it wasn't God. You don't need to console yourself with a bunch of excuses. You need to find out, God, you told me this door was open for me. What's my next move? 
Uh, how do I get this to open anyway? So David's faith always gave him the edge. He was a man of great faith, trusted God. That's how he slew the giant. And he looked, he knew God always plays to our potential, not our natural circumstances. God's word is always directed at your potential. So when you see in the Bible that that God gives us abundance, he's not talking about the way you see yourself now. He's talking about you and what he can do for you if you'll let your faith develop. You'll let your faith develop. How many minutes do we have on the CD over there? 20. On the CD? Okay, cool. All right, I'm going to read you something I was wanting to share with you. This is a... um, book that I've been reading, it's called The Traveler's Gift. It's by a man by the name of Andy Andrews, who is now a Christian, and he was a Christian when he wrote this, but uh, he had an interesting testimony. At the age of 19, both his parents were dead, and he found himself homeless, parentless, and orphan, and he set about trying to find what to do with his life, and he was depressed for the longest time. And one of the things that he possessed in his homelessness was a library card. And he had asked the Lord what he was going to do. Where does where do I go now? He was seeking direction. And the only thing he had was a library card. So he was able to go to the library and read books. And from reading books and biographies especially about people that were great people. When you're depressed and you're discouraged, don't read um, discouraging books. Don't read science fiction to fantasize and blow your mind up and escape things. Read something real that's going to feed something in you that's looking for a way out. So you find something about successful people. And he, he found that there were seven things, decisions, that people made that made for success. And he said that without fail, he could see each and every people, or every person that he had studied made these same decisions all the way down the line. And so he talks about them in this book, and he talks about decisions being made for success. And isn't that what faith is? Faith is a decision that you make to trust God. So whenever you make the decisions that you make, you make them with the idea of trusting God. When you come to a, a place where uh, you don't have, you're out of money or you, you're short and you don't know which bills to, you make a decision to get God's counsel as to which way to go. You make these decisions that will tend to make you successful and not lack success. One of the decisions he made, he found, he, he read Harry Truman's biography. The first one he made was the buck stops here. The buck stops here. In other words, you make a decision to take personal responsibility for your situation. If you don't make this first decision, the rest of it, you just forget the rest of it. If you always see yourself as a victim, you'll never get, you'll never be successful. Things happen to you. You don't make things happen. But the truth of the matter is, everybody is responsible for where they are. You have to take personal responsibility for your situation. 
You're not a victim. You know, you're not a victim of, uh, you know, I, oh, I got the kids to get dressed. Day 40. Junior ought to be dressing himself by now. Come on. But see, the victim mindset starts with being overwhelmed by life. Hmm? And it's not success. Whenever you're overwhelmed, you're not successful. In order to not be overwhelmed, you have to take responsibility for where you are. You take personal responsibility. You know the reason I am where I am, overwhelmed with these kids, is because I don't plan. Huh? Hmm? I'll tell you somebody that, that puts conviction and in, in, in passes judgment on every mother that feels overwhelmed with her one child is Mother Duggar. Little Miss 18 and counting. Hello. If you don't feel conviction when that woman comes up there with 18 kids, she homeschools them. They all play an instrument. They all know how to cook, clean. That house is pretty much spotless the way they keep it. And you whining because you got one to get dressed and can't get to church on time because of, you know. Well, I won't even go there. That's a whole nother. But that was an example of what he learned. And yes, he was homeless. And yes, he was parentless. But he learned to take personal responsibility for where he was right then and right there. That's why that's number one on his list. Because that's the first one he had to do. You're not a victim. You're not where you are because people don't like you. You're not where you are because of the color of your skin or your gender or anything else like that. You're where you are because you got yourself there. So your first decision, take personal responsibility for where you are. Nobody put you there and nobody forced you to be there. You're responsible. And from that, you can make other decisions to help yourself get out of trouble. Hmm? I told people, I said, when I found out that I was responsible for where I was when I met the Lord, that gave me a lot of relief. I said, well, if I got myself in this mess, I can get myself out of this mess. So there's hope for me. So if you got yourself in it, you can do things to reverse and get yourself out of it. Huh? That's how Jesus was able to come. Hello. We began to turn back to God. And God allowed him to come in <clears throat> to the earth. So I'm going to skip the other five and I'll go to the seventh one because I thought this would be worthy of, of talking about. And this is um, the seventh decision in the traveler's gift is this, I will persist without exception. He made the decision to persist. That means to keep going, keep trying. This is what faith tells you to do. Faith tells you to keep going. Faith doesn't tell you to sit down and quit and feel sorry for yourself. Hello? Faith tells you to keep going. Faith tells you to be persistent. You young people that love God, don't be ashamed to tell your little friends at school that you go to church on Sunday and Saturday. I'm going to say amen for you. (laughs) So he says, I will persist without exception. Without exception, folks. Don't ever drop the ball. Don't ever quit. Knowing that I have already made changes in my life that will last forever, today I insert the final piece of the puzzle. 
I possess the greatest power ever bestowed upon mankind, the power of choice. You can choose. You may think you don't have a choice, but you can choose. Today I choose to persist without exception. No longer will I live in a dimension of distraction. Hello? That's the easiest thing to do is when you're confronted with the anxiety of making a decision you think is bigger than you are, to get distracted by something that seems less intimidating, go do that. No longer will I live in a dimension of distraction, my focus blown hither and yon like a leaf on a blustery day. I know the outcome I desire. Everybody wants something, and they know what it is. I hold fast to my dreams. I stay the course. I do not quit. I will persist without exception. I will continue despite exhaustion. I'm going to read that again. I will continue despite exhaustion. I acknowledge that most people quit when exhaustion sets in. See, this is where faith gives you the edge. Where most people would drop out because they look at the list of qualifications and see they're lacking some, you keep going. He says, I am not most people. I am stronger than most people. Average people accept exhaustion as a matter of course. I do not. Average people compare themselves with other people. That is why they're average. You know why people are average? Because when you compare yourself with someone else, your standard's not high enough. He says, I compare myself to my potential. What are you capable of? You don't know until you ask God. I am not average. I see exhaustion as a precursor to victory. In other words, when you're tired and sick and tired, don't want to do it no more. Keep going. You're almost ready to start getting some more faith in you. How long must a child try to walk before he actually does so? Do I not have more strength than a child? More understanding, more desire? How long must I work to succeed before I actually do? See, this is where the average person quits. It's taking too long. A child would never ask the question, for the answer does not matter. How long never matters in the world of faith? How long never matters in the world of faith and persistence? He said, my persisting without exception, my outcome, my success is assured. It's already assured by the word of God. I will persist without exception. I focus on results. When you focus on results, the exhaustion and the pain don't even you don't even notice those. See the the easiest way to quit is start thinking about you in the middle of the race. How I feel, what I look like, who's ahead of me, who's stronger than me. Comparing yourself against a bad standard will always cause you to fall out of the race. Said to achieve the results I desire, it is not even necessary that I enjoy the process. 
It is only important that I continue the process with my eyes on the outcome. See, the distraction of they don't like me, they pick on me, 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 me. That's the distraction, folks. When you start focusing on you, you are distracted from the outcome. Says an athlete does not enjoy the pain of training. An athlete enjoys the results of having trained. A young falcon is pushed from the nest, afraid of tumbling from the cliff. The pain of learning to fly cannot be an enjoyable experience, but the anguish of learning to fly is quickly forgotten as the falcon soars to the heavens. So any pain that you are experiencing will be uh, overcome by the joy that you have with the right outcome. A sailor who fearfully watches stormy seas lash his vessel will always steer an unproductive course. But a wise and experienced captain keeps his eye firmly fixed upon the lighthouse. He knows that by guiding his ship directly to a specific point, the time spent in discomfort is lessened. So when you focus on a specific goal, the time spent being tossed to and fro is lessened. And by keeping his eye on the light, there never exists one second of discouragement. So when you stay focused on what God has for you and his, his word and what he's telling you he's going to do, not the process that you're going through now to get there, you're never discouraged. This is my light, my harbor, my future is within sight. I will persist without exception. I am a person of great faith. And Jeremiah, my creator, declares, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. So that's what you stay focused on. From this day forward, I will claim a faith in the certainty of my future. Your future is certain, folks. God has told you that. Too much of my life has been spent doubting my beliefs and believing my doubts. You've had too much time spent in nonsense. No more. I have faith in my future. I do not look left or right. I look forward. I can only persist. For me, faith always will always be a sounder guide than reason. See, this is why people don't accomplish what God has for them. They reason themselves out of it. Well, maybe it wasn't God. Well, that's for those people that do so-and-so and such-and-such. Such. I'm only wanting to do. Hmm? You start reasoning away the faith that God puts in you. He says that faith will always be sounder, a sounder guide than reason because reason can only go so far. Faith has no limits. Maybe that's why people are so scared of it. He says, I will expect miracles in my life because faith produces them every day. Every day. This is a man who had no parents at age 19. Homeless with just a library card. I will believe in the future that I do not see. That is faith. And the reward of this faith, the reward, is to see the future that I believed. I will continue despite exhaustion. Hmm? For those of you who got tired while he was saying all that. <laughs> I focus on results. 
I am a person of great faith. I will persist without exception. So what is your faith telling you you can do? Noah's faith told him that he would be the only one, he and his family would be the only person left in the whole world after the flood was over. What's your faith telling you? It usually is something a lot smaller than that. We, we never get that type of, of, of mandate from God. But you may be the only one with that job. You may be the only one that gets your mortgage paid in, in favor in that realm. You may be the only one. But I'm telling you, if you persist and realize that your potential is what God is looking at, he's not looking at your circumstances, then you'll get up and you'll start to soar because you'll start to wrap your faith around the word of God. And that faith will give you the edge in every situation you can ever get in. Amen. Why don't we stop? Well, Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding who we are, who we are in your eyes, not who we used to be. Yesterday is what we used to be. Today and tomorrow is who we are. So we thank you, Lord, for our potential in you, helping us to exercise our potential. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. Amen and praise God. Anybody wants prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you.